Amen. Well, isn't it good to worship together? You know, sometimes we come in through the week and we feel a little, little low, little, little drained of spiritual energy, and it feels good to worship and be in the presence of God. We're in a series right now called Noah, and we started a couple weeks ago, got through week one, then Brother Greg was here, and we're picking up uh, week two this morning. And we talked about how there is a parallel between the days of Noah that, that he lived in and the last days right before the return of Jesus. And Jesus is the one who made this connection for us. And he explained that the, the, the last days right before his return were going to parallel the days of Noah. And in the book of Luke, he told us not only would they parallel the days of Noah, they would actually parallel the days of Sodom and Gomorrah as well. And so we know what those times were like. I mean, you, you have to think about how severe the time must have been on the earth uh, to get to the point where it says that God regretted that he had made man. And it was so wicked, so evil, that the only solution that God had was to uh, bring complete judgment and start over. And that's a pretty dire situation. My time, a lot of you, some of you are, are older than me, but in my time of watching things, at least in my, in my nation and around the world, I have watched a slow decline of morality, of love of God, love of truth, love of decency, uh, common sense. I've just watched a slow decline in those, in those areas, and it seems to be picking up speed a little bit. I imagine that's what Noah felt like. You know, Noah was around how long? 600, I think six, 500, 600 years before he built the ark. Uh, so he, he watched a decline as well in his life, and he had a lot more time to watch it. And he saw a severe decline of the morale. Same things we're seeing. You know, I, I know I'm raising kids right now, and I, I'm not happy about the world that they're being raised in. I wish it were a little bit different. You know, I, I wish that the, some of the, the moral things and values that we hold dear, I wish that our society embraced those things. But it seems more and more, uh, it seems more and more that fewer and fewer people do. One of the interesting things about that, though, is I have a lot of private one-on-one -on -one conversations with people. And I can count probably on three fingers the number of people I have spoken to that actually espouses and believes some of the things that are being pushed in our nation and culture. The vast majority of people that I talk to think it's insane and it's, and it's nuts. But then I go, well, where are, where are all the leaders that believe that then that are standing up and saying that? Where are all the leaders that are in positions of authority in our schools and in our, in our government and in, in, in our social spheres that have the courage to stand up and go, we're not going that direction? whatever the consequences are, because we don't, we don't believe those things and we don't value those things. And they're standing up for what's right. They're, they're few and far between right now. And I believe this is what it was like in the days of Noah. It, it gets to a point where there's, there's nothing any longer that's holding back the darkness and holding back the wickedness. It got to the point where Noah and his family were literally the only ones. And so it just snowballed quicker and quicker and quicker. And in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil 
continually. This is a bad spot. This is a bad spot to be in. Verse 8, it says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And Noah walked with God. So in the middle of great perversion, great wickedness, great sin, Noah found favor with God. Noah, the Bible says, walked with God. What in the world was unique about Noah that he could live righteously as the, the only person on the planet? Why was he not swept up in all the wickedness, sin, and evil? Why was he not brought in to that, that level of wickedness and sin and, and all the mindsets and wrong mindsets and anti-God mindsets, anti-God values? Why was he and his family not swept up in that? There was something unique and different about Noah. Now, I love studying the life and story of Noah, but how many of you know we've got to apply this to our own lives? I mean, what, what is it going to be about us that we're not just swept up in that or our children are not swept up in the decline that we're seeing? In our, in our nation, in our world. Well, I don't know exactly what it was with Noah, but I do know the Bible tells us this one thing that could be the key to everything. It says this, Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God. And I know what the Bible means when it says walked with God because it talks about it in other places. It talks about constant communion and constant fellowship with the Lord. And I can say this, if we're going to have any any hope to raise a family in this generation that loves God and follows God, it's going to be because the leaders of that family, the, the mother and the father, the husband and wife of that family, walk with God. And if we're not walking with God, if, we're, if, if we've got skeletons in our closet and we've got undealt with issues and undealt with sin and what we're doing, we're allowing that same spirit that's destroying our world, we're allowing it to hang around in our families. And until we take that authority, that place that we have is the authority and say that type of sin, that type of wickedness, that type of immorality will not live in me and it will not live in my family. Until we do that, there's a wide open door into our families for that same level of perversion and wickedness to come in. It says, but Noah walked with God. Are we walking with God? Not, not do you call him God, not, do you, not would you say you're saved, not that, do you daily walk with God? Are you fellowshipping with God? Are you in constant communion with God? Because I can tell you that's your safety, that's your source of life. So Noah walked with God. In every generation there will always be the wicked and the righteous, no doubt. But in some generations that seems to be progressing more and more where it seems like exponentially the number of wicked is growing and the number of righteous is shrinking. And that was Noah's case. And Jesus said that was what it would be like before the, before the end, before the return of Christ. Now, it doesn't mean that there'll be no righteous on the earth when Christ returns. Obviously, there'll be plenty. But compared to the population at large, it will be a relatively small number. That's why he says the, the path to life is hard and narrow. And the number of them who find it is few. But the path to destruction, he says, is wide, and many go that way. So you have to decide which group are you going to be in. Are you going to be on the hard, narrow, and few path, or are you going to be on the wide and easy and many path? You have to decide that. And likely, whatever path you take is the path your children will take. 
That's not, a, that's not a guarantee, but that's likely. It has a lot to do with it. So in every generation, there will always be the wicked and righteous. And there has to be a, a resolute spirit in us that we're not depressed or discouraged by the wickedness. I think there might be a time and season where we look around and we're like, man, this is depressing. Our culture's going the wrong way. People. But there's a point where we got to get past that. You know, it is what it is, right? Things are happening. They're going a certain way. And there has to be, instead of a depressive spirit, there has to be a fighting spirit that rises up in us and go, I'm not, I'm not depressed by what's happening. The Bible told me this was going to happen. I'm not the first to walk through it. Noah walked through it. Ezekiel walked through it. Jeremiah walked through it. Isaiah walked through it. Lot walked through it. Jesus walked through it. A lot of people walk through it. So I'm not depressed by it. There has to be a fighting spirit that rises up and says, no, I, I'm not depressed by it. I'm going to stand. I'm going to fight. I'm going to push back the gates of hell in my life and in my family's life and, and in the areas that I have influence. I'm going to be a light in the darkness. I'm going to be the salt of the earth. That's my call to live in that. Thank God that we had it relatively easy in this nation to serve God, you know, in, in a nation that in part espoused uh, Christian values and things like that. But it seemed like those days, if they're not completely gone, they're going, right, quickly. And at a certain point, we can't sit around and mope about it. <laughs> at a certain point, we got to rise up and say, you know what, I, I believe I was called for such a time as this. And God didn't make an accident when, we, when he calls me to be born in this generation. There has to be something in me that's going to stand up and fight and be countercultural and be part of the solution. Amen. That's what Noah, Noah did. Look, no matter how bad you think you got it, you didn't have it as bad as Noah. I can tell you that Noah didn't even have a pastor. He didn't have a church. I'm not even con completely convinced that his kids were saved. Uh, I think they may have just got in because of him when you read the rest of the story. But So I think Noah felt, felt pretty alone, but thank God he, he had one thing. He, he, he had fellowship with God and he could walk with God. When he felt lonely, he could walk with God. When he needed answers, he could go walk with God. When he needed direction and encouragement, he could go walk with God. And that's what Noah had. At least we have each other, right? We have a church full of people that are trying to do the same thing. And we're not the only one. We got, there are many churches all around trying to live and do right and go in the wrong direction. Yeah, we're in the middle of a culture that's not doing that. But that's okay. We're equipped and called to do that. Now look at Genesis 6, 11. It says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. Everybody say God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence, and God saw. Everybody say, God saw. God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. The first thing that I really want you to know this morning is that God sees. God sees. There is nothing or no one that has ever escaped His view. There's not a single thing that's ever been done on this planet that God missed. There's not a single thought that anyone has ever had that God missed. He has seen everything. There's not a single motive that a person has had that God's missed. The Bible says that even when a sparrow falls to the ground, he knows about it. That mosquito you swat, you know, on your arm and you splat. Look, he knew, he knew that mosquito's name. He remembers when that mosquito came into existence. But he, he's on your side. Don't worry about it. He's on your side. But... It says, the earth was corrupt in God's sight. In other words, he was seeing every single thing that went on, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw 
the earth. The first thing we have to keep in mind as believers to live with courage and boldness and encouragement in this generation is we have to know we serve a God that sees. We serve a God that sees you and the way you're living, the sacrifices that you make, the commitment that you have. We serve a God that sees the wickedness and the perversion and, and, and the sin and we serve a God that sees all of that and knows perfectly how to deal with that. It, aren't you glad it's not your job to deal with, with all of that? It, it's not your job to solve the world's problems. It's not your job to solve the, the sin problem and the wickedness problem. That's God's job. He, he already created the gospel and, and the cross and the way of salvation for people. And the Bible tells in the book of Romans that they, they can look at nature and see it. And then they can reject it or accept it. That's, that's not your job to solve that. You have a very small part to play in the overall grand scheme. And all you've got to do is do your part faithfully and let God do His. We serve a God that sees everything that's going on and is well capable, well capable of handling it. Matter of fact, if God wanted, this very day, this very day, if God wanted, He could deal with this nation swiftly, quickly, and effectively if God wanted to. Just go read the Bible. It's full of examples like that. Y'all remember, how about King Nebuchadnezzar? Go read the book of Daniel and see what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar overnight. What about Belshazzar when he saw the handwriting on the wall because uh, of a sin he was committing? And, and the Medes and Persians came in and they took one of the most powerful empires and they, they took it over just like that overnight. God could do that. He has the power to turn things around and, and change things if he, if he wants. But you know what a lot of people, I think, don't understand about God is that God really doesn't want judgment. God wants repentance. And He wants to extend mercy. That's what God really wants. God withholds judgment. And that's why when we look at it, sometimes we go, man, why doesn't God do anything? Why doesn't He? Man, if I was God and I had an unlimited store of lightning bolts, I'd be zapping some people. It'd, it'd look like one of those little bug lights that, you know, people hang in their backyard. I'd be getting after it. I had lightning bolts at my disposal. You know, and that's you, okay. You might need to pray a little bit, you know, just get the heart of God a little more on it. But God is very merciful. And He doesn't want judgment. He wants people to repent. And He wants mercy. And boy, how many of you lived in a season of sin and time away from God, and you're glad that He didn't just zap you right in that time and that you finally came around? Aren't you glad you had space to repent, make things right before you experience judgment in your life? Praise God, that's, that's the gospel. That's what we want. So we're not angry at people. We're not mad at the world. We're not, you know, just fire, hell, and damnation. You know, just, they're going to all burn. Well, that's not really the heart of God. That's why things seem to take a long time. And things are slow because He wants to see people repent and turn. He wants to give time for that. But here's what you need to know. God sees. He's not ignoring it. He's not blind to it. He's not ignorant of it, and he knows perfectly how to deal with it. And by the way, he's the only one that knows perfectly how to deal with it. God's the only one of us, of, of mankind. He's the only one that is perfectly suited to execute judgment because he's the only one, A, who is perfect and doesn't have his own sins to answer for. And B, he's completely omniscient, meaning he knows everything. He knows every single thing that's happened in a person's life. He knows their childhood. He knows what their parents did to them. He knows how and if they were abandoned and the abuse and all the issues in their life. And, and taking all of that into account, he knows how to bring perfect judgment 
in a person's life. We don't know that. that that's, not, that's not our job. And boy, I tell you, I like to get stuff off of my plate that's not my job. I, know, I, I have found very effectively what is my job and what is not. And there's a lot of peace in that. There's a lot of peace in knowing what is my job and what is not. What is your job and what is not mine. It is so peaceful. And I'm telling you, some of these things that we get upset about, it's be good for us to realize, look, God sees. And this is God's job. It's not my job. Not only does God see, the Bible says that God hears. Genesis chapter 18, verse 20. You remember he said it was going to be like the times of Lot as well. Genesis 18, 20. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So he said there was an outcry that came up that God heard against Sodom and Gomorrah. That's going on right now. Some of you in your living room, you know, you're complaining about things. and You've had a lot of conversations about the way things are going on and the decline of the, the nation and what's going on. Have we lost our minds? Guess what? God's heard every bit of it. I don't know if that's good news or bad news, but God's heard every bit of it. And, and, I, and I believe in a lot of cases, it's like an outcry that goes up to him of his people saying, God, what is going on with our nation? What is going on with the people of God? What's going on with our churches? What's going on with decency? What is happening? Yet God sees it, and God hears it, and he not only does he hear it, but he's heard the outcry of his people as well. Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Ecclesiastes 12.14 says, For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil evil. And let me just say, it makes no difference whether you believe this is true or not. It makes no difference whether a person acknowledges God. It makes no difference whether they're aware that they're accountable to God. It makes no difference whether they uh, are afraid of the judgment of God. Every person, when they take their last breath and they get that last heartbeat, they're going to leave this world and they're going to stand before the judge of all the universe. And when they do, they're going to give an account for their life and what they did on this planet. And sometimes I think, you know, that's another reason why God doesn't always bring judgment swiftly in this life is because the real judgment is coming in the next life. I mean, if somebody gets judgment, I've thought about this so many times, you know, people have done the most hor horrible things and, you know, you hear some of the just horrific things that, that go on in this world. I mean, sometimes I don't even read the news anymore. It's just, it's like, you read something and you go, that, how could a human being do that or be involved in that? And you hear it and you think, man, well, they, they deserve to fry. You know, or they, they deserve to, they, 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 I wish they'd put them in jail for life. You know, whatever you can do to them in this life is nothing compared to the judgment they're going to experience in the next life. And that's why I don't think, 
you know, sometimes that God is very swift to act in judgment in this world because th- no matter, even if you did, it's never going to be the judgment that they truly deserve. And again, God is hoping and, and praying for them that they would repent of those things and find mercy and forgiveness and not receive judgment in the next life. But if they don't, they will. Uh, this was before my time, but I know many of you remember John Lennon, the famous Beatle, Beatle guy. You know, the, even the Beatles were before my time, but everybody knows who the Beatles are. It don't even matter if you before your time or not. But he made this quote, it's kind of a famous quote. He was quoted as saying, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't, I needn't argue about that because I'm right and I'll be proved right. We, talking about the Beatles, we're more popular than Jesus now. And I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. He was assassinated on December, December the 8th, 1980. He was shot four times in the back by Mark David Chapman outside of an apartment building where Lennon lived in New York City. And I think to myself, I don't know whether he had a chance to repent of that or not. I don't know whether he changed his heart views. You know, I don't think anybody knows that, but as far as we know, he did it. And I think sometimes the arrogance that people have to think a certain way and say certain things, all I want you to know is God sees and God hears. And there will be a day that you give an account for it. I'm not in any way connecting his assassination with what he said. What I am saying is that he made that statement and the Bible says that we will give an account for every idle word that is spoken. So sometimes in this life we boldly proclaim things and say things arrogantly. People boldly and proclaim like they have all knowledge in, about God and the world and how things should be. But just remember, every one of them are going to stand before God and give an account. Why? Because God sees and God hears. He knows every, every bit of it. I imagine that in the days of Noah, it probably, there were, tho- there were those in Noah's day that probably felt a lot like John Lennon. There, there's nothing to this God thing. Not, nothing, to, wor- nothing to worry about. No, we're just going to live and be happy and live our life. And the day that that flood came, they found out a whole different reality. And that's going to happen again right before the return of Jesus or at the return of Jesus. Just remember, it's not our job to bring or enforce judgment. It is our job to love with the love of God. And so there is this tension of being frustrated and aggravated about what's going on but just remember the one who sees the one who hears it's his job to bring judgment your job my job is to actually love humanity pray for humanity a big reason for that is because you have your own sins to answer for and I'm gonna tell you people who are very judgmental very hateful very critical and they call themselves Christian they either they've either never known the love of God or else they have forgotten what all that God has done for them. And they have forgotten all that they've been forgiven of. Because I'm going to tell you, anybody who has, who's been forgiven of their own sin, has been filled with the love of God, you'll never look at another human being with just complete judgment and, and hatred towards them. The Bible says those two things can't exist in, a, in the heart of a Christian. So don't get caught up in that either about 
you know, seeing things that are going on and, and letting that, that hatred and that anger come up in your heart, that's not your place. Your place is to love, and the Bible says, pray for your enemies. Let God do His part, and we do our part. Amen? Not only does God see the wickedness and the sin that's going on in our world, but He also sees the righteous. And He sees what is going on in your life. He sees those who sacrifice for Him. He sees those who are persecuted. He sees those who take a stand for righteousness, even when it's going to be very costly to them. He sees that. Maybe you have felt before, like Noah, where you just felt like, man, this, this thing is going crazy, and I feel like I'm the only one that is serving God, going after God. Every time I turn around, somebody I thought was a, a Christian or thought was supposed to be doing right, they're, they're going off this way. And, you know, you sometimes feel like this world is not your home. You ever felt like that? You ever felt just a little bit out of place? Like, man, I wish Jesus would go ahead and just wrap this whole thing up. Yeah, I felt like that. But here's how the Bible tells us we are to live and, and the things that we are supposed to keep in mind. Yet God sees the wicked, but He also sees the righteous. He sees what you're going through. He sees your faithfulness. He sees your commitment to the kingdom. He sees your commitment to Him. He sees your commitment to your church, your commitment to your family, the sacrifices that you're making. He sees it. Just like God's going to bring judgment for the wicked, he's going to bring judgment in a good way for the righteous as well. Again, not one thing missed. Not one smile, not one text message, not, not one ki kind act. He's never, missed, he's never missed one. And so we should go through life with the confidence that God sees and God rewards or judges depending on what it calls for. But yeah, we're going to feel out of place in this life. You should feel out of place. Listen, if you feel, if you feel comfortable and cozy right now with the, the way the world is, you need to spend like a week praying and fasting and checking your heart with God. If you just buddy-buddy and fit right in and, and you, you're just super comfortable with everything that's going on, you ain't saved. You, I mean, you need to come down and repent after service today. I'll help you. I'll pray with you. Because you ought to feel uncomfortable. And if you feel comfortable in this world right now, I'm, something's wrong, so we need to pray for you. But this is what the Bible says, Philippians 3. It says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Earth is not our home. We are visiting. We are passing through. It's temporary. Our citizenship is in heaven. Don't live like this is your final destination. Don't make choices and decisions like this is your final destination, like you're just going to live forever here and, and you're never going to have to, to give an account for how you lived and what you did. This place is temporary, it's short, it's quick, it's passing like that. Some of you are already halfway done. I'm one of them. Some of you three quarters of the way done. Some of you only got 5% left and don't even know it. Hey, that's a sobering thought. Yeah, because none of us know the day, but this, but this it doesn't matter. I, I know that might sound morbid, but guess what? If you're saved and born again, that doesn't matter. You don't die anyway. You just pass on to the next and better life to be with God. So let's spend this life, as the scripture says, like this place is not our permanent home because it's not. Our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ.
John 15, 19 says, If you were of the world, the world would love you. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Can I just tell you that if, if you hold the, the values of the, of the word of God, this world hates you. Now, you may hide those values because you know better. You may be politically correct and dial them back just a little bit. And we're not going to talk about that because I don't want to make any mad. But if all of us were just free to get up and just say clearly what we thought, Clearly what we believed, what we thought was right, what we thought was dumb, if that was ever made just completely known in public, guess what? The world would hate you. And they would hate your guts, but guess what? It's not about you. They really hate God. And the only reason they hate you is because you've aligned your values with Him. The only reason they hate you is because you've, you've embodied and embraced His Word. And what He says is right and what He says is wrong. And when you embrace that, they're going to hate you. Some of us, you know, the world tolerates us, but the only reason they tolerate us is because we're not as bold and as plain as we ought to be about what we really think. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all are environments where you got to zip it because if you really said what you thought and you really said how you believe, you might lose your job. You'd be an outcast. You'd be ostracized. And what, what the Bible says is that that's because you're not of the world, that God chose you out of the world. The world first hated him, and now it hates you because of it. So don't take it personal. They don't love God. They're definitely not going to love you. So it's not easy living righteous among the wicked. Of course, that's what Noah was doing. And he had it a lot harder than us. But just remember that God sees. If you do take a hit... If you do pay a price for your values and what you believe, just remember, God sees. He sees it and He knows it and He takes account of it. And I believe it means a lot to Him when we stand up for Him and we're persecuted because of righteousness. Amen? Genesis 6, 8, it says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and Noah walked with God. We read that earlier. But because God sees, Noah found favor with God because of how he was living. We're going to have plenty of opportunity to do this in our lives. You know, I remember when I was in high school, uh, I started living for God. I was about 15, and up to that point, I'd always been in church. But up to that point, I was pretty much a lukewarm, really hypocrite, mostly. I, I knew all the right things was in church, but I, you know, I had no, no heart or passion for God. If I did, it was just very, very barely there. And I had an experience with God that changed everything for me. And when I went back to school, I had to live completely different. And I stood out more than I did before because... If you're a light in the darkness, you're going to stand out, right? And I remember learning all of these things that we're talking about this morning. I remember learning to boldly live for God in spite of uh, what people said, what people thought, what opinions they had about me. When everybody was doing this or going this way to say, I'm not doing that and I'm not going that way. And I learned what that felt like. And I did that for the last three years of, of my high school 
And there got to a point, and I think God almost just really supernaturally set me free from it, but there got a point where I just didn't care. I didn't care what anybody... Before, it would have bothered me, and I just didn't care. If you didn't like it, it didn't matter to me, you know, because I wanted to please God. Plus, I knew you were wrong. So why why do I care what you think if you're wrong? I want to align myself with God. And so I knew what it was like. Then I went to college, and I remember when I went to college, I went to Oral Roberts University, and it was a Christian college, and so in my mind, I I had a... I was excited because I thought when I went to a Christian college that everybody was going to feel like me. And if you're thinking about sending your kid to a Christian college, let me just reassure you, that is not the case. Okay, you will be able to find people there that are there for the right reasons serving God, but it will not be the majority, most likely. And so I kind of had my eyes open when I went. I thought, man, I'm going to go to Oral Roberts. This, this, these people believe like uh, this is going to be awesome. I'll find a bunch of people that are wanting to go into ministry, and it's going to be amazing. And what I found was the ones that wanted to go into ministry were the worst. So just, I feel sorry. I, I hope they got their life right before they became pastors. That's my only thing I'm saying. But anyway, but I went to college, and I, re- I remember going to my first party, my first college party. Now, you got to remember, I was... Still naive at this point, and I was thinking, yeah, it's going to be just a bunch of Christian friends hanging out and having a good time. It's just going to be out there, probably be playing Christian music, you know, it'd be awesome, eat some chips and queso and have a good time. And I rode with my roommate, and it was about, I don't know, it was about a mile or two from the college. And now, and then I knew why, because they could actually have parties on campus, and I found out later why they was having it off campus. But anyway, we went, you know, a mile or two away, and... I was a freshman in college, and I remember I walked in, and I saw a bunch of people I'd met already that were there, and within the first five minutes, my, I was like, I, I was speechless. I didn't really understand. What, I, was, I was in culture shock, not because I'd never seen anything like that, just because my paradigm of what college I was a part of was being shattered right, right in front of me of what, of what it was, and I remember standing there, and I'm looking around, and I'm I'm just, I'm being devastated by, as I, as I consider so much information, as I consider so many of these people that I know that they say they're here to train for ministry, and this is what they're participating in, this is what's going on, this is what, you know, is, is happening. And I remember standing there, and my roommate, I rode with him, he was walking around doing something, and I just remember to myself saying, I got, I got to get out of here, and I walked out, and I walked back to the college. It was a couple miles. I walked down the sidewalk. It was a nice area. You know, I walked a couple miles back to the college. It was dark. And I remember just walking and praying, and there was just this realization in my mind that this is your life. Get used to it. This is the rest of your life. You are going to be, if you're going to walk with God, if you're going to follow God, This is the rest of your life. You can't care about being liked. You can't care about being popular. You can't care about appeasing people. You can't care about what other people think. If you do that, you're going to compromise. And so you better get used to this. And I remember walking back and just thinking to myself, you know what? This is my life. I'm going to live for God. And I don't care what my roommate thinks. I don't care what anybody thinks. And he got back to the thing and he asked me, you know, he said, man, why, why, why'd you leave? Because to him, this was fine. This, he was a senior. He'd been doing this for four years. So he thought, this is, this is normal. This is fine. 
And, you know, then on, on what? Mondays and Wednesdays, we would go into chapel, and they'd have the best speakers from all over the world come in and just, the, the worship, man, amazing, the speaking, awesome. And everybody that was at the party just come in and sit like they're just the best Christian ever. I said, no, I am not going to be part of this. And I told him that. I said, I'm not doing that. I'm not going out one way and then sitting in chapel acting like I'm the, you know, holy, holy Christian saint, pope, whoever. You know, I'm not doing that. I, if, I, if I'm going to do it one way, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to pretend one way and do it another way. And I think that this is one of the reasons why God, why Noah stood out to God. And I'm going to just tell you, if you live that way, if a, if a Christian lives that way where they, they're a hypocrite and they, they live in and out like that, they live in the world and they try to follow God, you've lost sight of the fact that God sees. God sees. And, and so, if you, but on the other hand, if you are a, a Christian that is trying to live righteous and you're trying to stand for what's right and you're being persecuted or you're experiencing challenges because of that, let me encourage you also that God sees. And He sees what you're doing. He sees how you're fighting for what's right, fighting for the kingdom, fighting for the gospel, fighting for Him. He sees that. And I believe that He is very pleased with that. Amen? So the fact that God sees means that God will act. Now it may not be on our timetable, but because God sees, God is going to act. It may not be, like I said, in your timetable or the lifetime, your lifetime even, but there will be an action from God that corresponds to what He's been seeing and hearing in a positive and in a negative way. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe, number one, that He exists, but number two, that He rewards those who seek them. So you see, this is a foundational belief and faith that we're all supposed to walk in, is that we serve a God who rewards those who seek Him. In other words, we serve a God that it, it pays off to serve Him. It pays off to serve Him. I know I'm living proof of that. That would be my testimony. I mean, living for God, does it have its challenges? Yes, but if I look around, I go, man, God has blessed me, blessed my family. I love serving God. I love living for God. And you, you, find, the, you find me a person that's living for the world. I don't care how much money they got. I don't care how blessed they think. I promise you I'm happier than they are. Because it is a blessing to serve God and live for God. And if that's not what you're experiencing, trust me, if that is not what you're experiencing, something's wrong. Because it pays off to serve God. As a matter of fact, there's a, there's a scripture in the Old Testament, I can't remember, I think it's in Malachi, where it says that some of the people of God were talking. And they were talking about how it doesn't pay off to serve God. They were, they were talking, they were talking about how, man, the, the wicked have it better than the righteous. You know, we try to do right, and, and uh, you know, we have all these problems and issues, and then I look at the wicked, they ain't, they're not serving God, and it seems like everything works out for them. And God spoke through the prophet Malachi, and he said, when you said that, I was listening. When you said that, I heard. He said, so let me tell you what, what I'm going to do. He said, there's been a book of remembrance that's been written for you. And there's a book of remembrance that have been, been written for the righteous. And for those who have been righteous and they've been faithful and they've served me, he said, I'm going to pour out my blessing upon, 
upon them. And I'm going to tell you, that's what I have found in my life. Is that it is, is it a sacrifice? Yes. Is there, are there a lot of things you have to, to give up? Of course. Are there lots of hard choices and decisions you have to make? Absolutely. But when I look around, I wouldn't have it any other way. I love serving God, and there's nothing anybody could do to get me to walk away from, from the life that I live walking with God every day. And my testimony, I don't know what your testimony, but my testimony is that God is faithful, and God is good, and I love serving God. And I believe exactly what this scripture is, that those who seek Him, those that draw near to God, they, He rewards those who diligently seek Him. And I believe that we have a church full of people that are going after God, that are like Noah, trying to live righteous in this generation. And I believe that there's going to be a reward because of that. I can tell you that God sees it, and God is with us. He is with you, and, and there's going to be a payoff because of it. So I want to encourage you. Okay, you're living, you look around. Yeah, is the world going a certain direction? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I want to encourage you. God sees it all. And he hears it. And just like Noah, there's going to be a time of reckoning, both for the world and for those who have lived righteously. There's going to be a reward. Amen?